the Memorare. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to your protection, implored your help, or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to you, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To you I come, before you I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in your mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. All across the Gulf South, it's 7 a.m. Time to wake up on Catholic Community Media. Good morning. You're listening to Wake Up on this beautiful Wednesday morning. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith along with Johnny Abair. Hey, Johnny, happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, and I can't believe we're, what, we're inside 12 days till Christmas? Oh, my Woo-hoo! gosh, Gabby. It's, yeah, it's coming close. Wait. Yeah, it's moving closer. <laughs> got all the tree up, oh got goodness. all the decorations up, and uh, yeah, but a little bit of panic. Just, you know, get the shopping panic. done. That's the last thing. I'm cruising. Right. No. Uh-uh. I got Are it all really? done. I'm done. I'm just waiting for family to show up. I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? You're always so well prepared. <laughs> Gosh. Well, let's get our day started in prayer. In fact, it's about that, about getting prepared for his coming. So let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, Master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do, seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. And we whose hearts are heavy, we seek the joy of your presence. For we are your people walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. And to you, O Lord, we say this morning, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And we call upon the intercession of St. Lucy. St. Lucy, pray for us. Pray for us. We will learn more about St. Lucy later on during our Saint of the Day. We are starting off at 7 after with Johnny's Gospel Reflection. You definitely want to stay tuned for his wonderful, wonderful insights on today's reading. In 18 minutes, Eric Sammons joins us. He is a Catholic author, and we are talking about the Jesse Tree Advent tradition. So looking forward to learning a little bit more. But he also has a book called The Jesse Tree, an Advent devotion. So very simple, but looking forward to this. And And I know we're almost halfway through with Advent. And as Johnny said, we are counting down the days uh, until Christmas begins. But this is something to maybe think about next year, or if you're ever so ambitious, you can start it. So it's a wonderful tradition. It's never too late. So Eric's going to give us a little bit more information about this. In 35 minutes, Dr. Tom Neal joins us. He's the Chief of Evangelization and Mission Engagement of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. And today we are talking about St. John of the Cross, whose feast day is this week. So looking forward to learning a little bit more about this wonderful saint. And in 48 minutes, Dr. Jordan Haddad joins us. He's a professor of dogmatic theology over at Notre Dame Seminary, and he's the president of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society, and we are continuing our Catholic 101 segment. But today we're talking about pilgrimages. 
what are they? What are the purposes of them? Are they just glorified vacations? Of course, we know the answer to that, but many of us do not. Dr. Haddad's going to expand on this. So I am looking forward to this segment. And uh, Johnny, yeah, um, looking forward to today's show. I hope you're almost done with your Christmas shopping or I guess sending out the Christmas cards, getting those cookies all ready to bake and... Yeah, I, I tell you what, I'm really <laughs> starting to get excited. The kids are starting, the grandkids are starting to get excited. You know, when they get excited, it, uh, it, you know, Christmas is in the air. Yes. So come, Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Stay with us. We have your gospel and reflection by Johnny when we return from the break. It is five past the hour on Wake Up. Blessed Wednesday of the second week of Advent, I'm Father Chris Decker, and today's gospel comes to us from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said to the crowds, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Thank you, Father Chris Decker. Wow, yeah, this short but powerful invitation from our Lord. It, it's powerful because it's personal and it's personal, right? Because we, we live it, it's a living truth. You know, we, we feel it, we know it, uh, we live it every day. And, you know, so that's, it's an, so it's as alive now and as true now as it ever was and as when our Lord spoke it. Just love this passage, George mm-hmm. passage. You know, and Gabby, some people would say, well, this meek and humble Jesus, that's not the God of the Old Testament. But, you know, Jesus is actually echoing what the Father has said all through salvation history. He's echoing back. So, for example, we read from Jeremiah. This is 600 years earlier. Thus says the Lord, stand by the earliest roads. Ask the pathways of old, which is the way to good, and walk it. Thus you will find rest for yourselves. And then from the book of Sirach, 200 years earlier, we read this, Come aside to me, you untutored, and take up lodging in the house of instruction. How long will you deprive yourself of wisdom's food? How long endure such bitter thirst? I open my mouth and speak of her. Gain wisdom for yourselves at no cost. Take her yoke upon your neck, that your mind may receive her teaching for she is close to those who seek her, and the one who is in earnest finds her. So whether it be 2,000 years ago or 200 years ago, mankind has a habit of making yokes for ourselves, and God again Mm -hmm. and again responds by calling us to himself, to his bosom, to lighten that load. Even go back, so even to the beginning, Adam said, I'll learn from the serpent, and now we bear the burden of expulsion nation of Israel said, I'll learn from these other cultures and these other gods, and they were in, enslaved. And in the gospel today, you know, this is actually a very emotional passage uh, that Jesus is here. It's, it's similar to when he wept over Jerusalem and longed to gather as a hen, them as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. Mm. 
So that brings us to today in our modern culture. You know, modern man says to says, "I'll learn from the experts," and but the so-called experts have detached themselves. Many have from the essential, timeless truth that we can only be free and truly happy when God is our source and as our mm-hmm. life. You know, their own studies prove it, but they won't even speak of it. Instead, we take that, we, we, we consume that, and we feel alone, many do, and overwhelmed. We think God's not interested, when in fact, he's the only outlet who really understands and the only yeah. one who can bear it. I mean, after all, what more of a burden can there be than the cross that our Lord bore for us? Mm-hmm. So I was looking back, you know, thinking about uh, our modern day, the self-imposed modern day isolation. And I think it uh, it really does come out in that famous song by Simon and Garfunkel, uh, The Sound of Silence. It's a classic song written in the 60s. That's the one that opens with, hello, darkness, my old friend, you know. And there's this haunting part in there that uh, Paul Simon wrote. He says, and the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. And the sign said, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls and whispered in the sound of silence, unquote. So, you know, that has echoes or similar warnings as the Old Testament was reading earlier about false gods and false prophets. But there's hope here, actually, because the backstory is very powerful here, and it really has a close Advent tie to end to, to, end to our gospel today. Because when you read the backstory on this, this, the lyrics are actually based on the real-life experience of Art Garfunkel, who told Paul Simon the story. And what happened was Art Garfunkel's roommate in college, um, they were very close friends, poets and things like that, but his friend became blind very quickly. And Garfunkel then would help lead him around town and he would help teach him how to get from place to place and walk with him everywhere. In fact, Garfunkel gave himself the name Darkness so his friend would greet him. Hello, Darkness, my old friend. But uh, one day after trying to teach him all of this, Garfunkel told his friend that he had an emergency. This is Now, this is while they're in the middle of Grand Central Station. Garfunkel says he had an emergency and he needed to leave. And his friend, frantic, had to find his way back from Grand Central Station to come back home through the darkness and blind. And when he got back home, he was exhausted. Uh, and he found out, though, that Art Garfunkel actually had followed him the entire time staying behind him. They're ready to catch him if he needed him, ready to speak to him if he needed to it. And uh, so out of that, his friend actually came out of this deep depression and he thrived. In fact, he went on to become so successful, this friend did, that he ended up making a $3 million prize to find a cure for blindness. And then earlier than that, when uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel needed money to get their first album done, they turned to him, and of course, he lent the money, the $400, to his old friend, his old darkness friend. So, you know, to kind of get to how it leads up, you know, like uh, our Lord today, like this story, is calling us to learn and trust in the only thing that can bring us rest and happiness and freedom, and that is the friendship of God. It's not a philosophy, and it's not a theory. The good news of Advent is that our Lord came and took upon his own flesh all the guilt, 
all the burden, all the lies, the loneliness of sin and turned it into pure joy. And that's what his invitation continues to be to us this Advent. With that kind of unconditional love, with that, uh, we could finally be feel let that feel unshackled, you know. And our first reading today at Mass, you'll hear we'll actually gain those eagles' wings. So, Gabby, that's uh, the story of today. Is that no matter what we're going through, uh, Advent's a time to say, "I'll let you, Lord. You got to carry this load." and keep our eyes on him as we walk toward that manger, walk toward that Christmas day, right? He'll bring us out of the darkness. You are absolutely right. No, you are absolutely right. Jesus is Jesus is the light. That's what my son told me the other day. So just that's what I always think about. Jesus is the light. So, yeah, and our saint today, she can attest to that. You'll hear that next. And coming <laughs> up next, Eric Sammons is going to talk about the Jesse Tree tradition in his book. It's quarter past the hour. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 13th. Today we celebrate Saint Lucy. Fully exploring the life of today's saint is inherently risky. Little is known about Saint Lucy, and different sources sometimes offer contradictory details about her. Still, the Church has honored her as a virgin martyr since the 6th century, 200 years after her death. Indeed, the name of Saint Lucy is included in the first Eucharistic prayer, Her name also surfaces in many ancient liturgical books. She is even remembered in the song Santa Lucia. Lucy was likely born in Sicily into a family of some wealth. As a young Christian woman living in a primarily pagan society, she was often viewed with skepticism and bewilderment, even by her friends. The young girl's disinterest in marriage made no sense to them, any more than her desire to share her family's wealth with the poor. In the early 4th century, When persecution was common, Lucy was the victim of an attempted rape. After resisting, she was accused of being a Christian and then arrested, tortured, and killed. The year was 304. We are not certain just why, but St. Lucy is regarded as the patron saint of people with diseases of the eye. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Oh, Advent, Advent is when the love of power yields. Power of love tuned your heart into the truth. And uh, you got lots of traditions, I know, at your home. Gabby, you were talking earlier about how you guys did the Jesse tree uh, tradition. So uh, we're going to talk about that right now. Eric Sammons, (laughs) a Catholic author, joins us now to talk about the Jesse tree tradition and his book, the Jesse Tree and Advent Devotion. There you go. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, fantastic. Counting down the days to Christmas. You know, and we're always (laughs) looking for ways to make our family experience of Advent better. Uh, For those not familiar, first of all, with the Jesse Tree, tell us about it. Yeah, so the Jesse Tree is an Advent devotion that dates back centuries. We have some knowledge of it from the Middle Ages, uh, from stained glass windows and people talking about it. But essentially what it is, every day of Advent, you spend a little bit of time in prayer contemplating somebody who came before the time of Jesus, who's part of his family tree, so to speak. That's where the name comes from, Jesse Tree. Jesse is the father of David. 
And the Old Testament talks about the root of Jesse will eventually come. And that, of course, we know is Jesus Christ. And so what you do is you look at previous people in salvation history. So, for example, all the way back to Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. And you contemplate something each day about how that person or that event, how it prepared the world for the coming of Jesus. Because the whole purpose of Advent is for us to prepare the coming of Jesus. So by engaging the Jesse tree, we see how God prepared the world for the coming of Jesus, and that helps us then prepare for his coming at Christmas. Oh, wow. So, so the book that you put together on this, uh, tell us how, to, how it helps us to do that. Is it, is it something that you follow and read and put together, or is there actually a kit or materials that come with it? How, do you, how does this actually, the book, uh, help us to uh, to actually make this part of our yeah, own so, home tradition. Right. The, the way it works is that you typically what you have is you have a little, uh, an actual Jesse tree, like a tree. It can be anything from a, a small artificial tree to a real one or whatever. It's not your Christmas tree. And you put an ornament up each day. And the ornament has the symbol for that day of the person. So, for example, for Noah, it's an ark. For Abraham, it's a star. For Jacob, it's a ladder. And then you read a scripture passage related to that, and then there's a reflection. So the book itself has all the pictures of the ornaments in it. Uh, You can actually buy pre-made ornaments that match the book at Sophia Institute, which is where you can buy the book as well. And so really, it's like a five, yeah, it's a five minute, really five to 10 minutes that you do with your family where you put the ornament. We have our kids, for example, each kid has an assigned day where they put up the ornament for the day. We read the scripture passage related to it. We read the reflection and then we do the prayer and we do it as a family. And so really that, that is each day what you're doing. And it really, this we've been doing in our family as long as we've been married for 28, 28 years now. Mm. And it, we found it's just a beautiful way for our, especially for our kids to start to get the big picture year after year. We're talking about this story of salvation history during Advent so they can understand, okay, Jesus didn't show up out of nowhere. <laughs> there was a whole thousands of years of God preparing for it. And so that, that helps, I think, the kids to kind of understand that big picture of salvation history. So you've been doing this how many years as a family? I mean, how, how young are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, through adulthood, it sounds like. What's, what's yeah, the age group, youngest age? Right. So we, I, we have seven kids, and they're 18 years apart from the oldest to the youngest. And we started doing oh, wow. this when we first got married, before we even had our, our first child. And we got to a point where at one point we were doing it, we had an 18-year-old and a newborn. And we're all doing it together. And especially the, the younger kids, they love putting the ornament up. They love knowing it's my mm-hmm. turn today to put the ornament up. Yeah. And it, it's just a Finding great time each, each night of Advent to really just have that little bit of time where you, you, you get out of the kind of crazy secular Christmas season that surrounds us and really focus on, okay, we're in Advent right now. We're trying to prepare for Christmas. We're not in Christmas yet. And I, it's just a, an easy way, I think, to do that, to, to set their minds to remember what season we're actually in. Yeah, we're talking with Eric Sammons, and the, uh, the book is the, the Jesse Tree in Advent Devotion. Um, so can you, did you, are you, can you reuse the uh, the ornaments once you make them, or do you, or is kind of the idea is to have it hands on every year? I'm just curious. Yeah, what we do is we just reuse the same ones every year, and the ones that Sophia Institute sells are very high quality; like they'll last 
forever. I mean, they're, they're nice, they're strong wood and everything. Uh, of course, you can make your own as well, but we just reuse them. So each year we have a bag with all of them in there. We put away uh, after Advent season is over with the book and we just get them out and then we just know, okay, this year we're going to put them up and we're just going, you know, and we, the funny thing is we actually use, uh, I kind of make fun of felt banners in churches, but we actually use a felt banner for our Jesse tree, which I always think is kind of funny because that's what we got back in 1995 from a relative who gave us uh, a Jesse tree stuff back then. And so that's what we've always used. And we put it up on the wall each year, but I know people who have small little artificial trees they put up on their dining room table or something like that, where they, they hang the ornaments. So, so what's been, you know, looking back now that your kids, your, your children are much older, uh, what's the, the effect or the impact um, that you've seen even in your own family or, or what you've heard from other families that are, that are following the, the ideas here in the book? I think it's that repetition every year of understanding salvation history. I, a lot of us, we know it's difficult to uh, understand and kind of follow the Old Testament. And as parents, when we try to teach our kids the, the basics of the Old Testament, it's a lot. I mean, it, it can be very confusing, very intimidating. And so what this does is it really puts everything in perspective for them. And so they understand, for example, if they hear reading at Mass about Moses, they know, okay, Moses came before David. They know that David was like, you know, they, they know David was a king and that Moses was, was the one who led him out of the promised land like, and gave him the Ten Commandments. So they, they have this general understanding that, that they just get from every year, having year, year after year, having every day of Advent going through the, the, the basic story of the Old Testament. I feel like that's a real benefit because we can't really fully understand the Gospels and the New Testament without having at least some knowledge of the Old Testament. And I feel like my kids, and I've heard this from others who do the Jesse Tree, it, it equips them very well doing that. I remember one time my, my son, when he was maybe eight years old or something like that, he said, Dad, the Old Testament's like one big Advent. And I realized, okay, oh. he gets it. He gets it. I was wow, like, yeah. Great. It was a really i got to write that one <laughs> And, and I don't so know, I, Eric, I got to write that one down. I mean, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I, 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 you notice I remembered it. I mean, as soon as he said, it, I was like, wow, yeah. he gets it. And I thought, that's, that's, I was like, you're absolutely right. And, and I, I think that's a great way to put it because it, that really is what it is. The Old Testament is just this advent, the waiting for the coming of, of, of the Savior. Mm -hmm. So, so you don't have to be a theologian, you know, if your people, your parents listen to this, you know, it's all laid out there, right? You got uh, the, the readings there, right. the reflection, and you're not talking about a huge commitment either. I mean, kids' attention span, oh, no. but uh, it's not real, but, but they remember things like, like you're mentioning here. And Gabby, you even remember this from your, yeah. <laughs> from doing when you were very well, young, right? We did our first Jesse tree when I was in my kindergarten religion class. And all we did was print the ornaments out, glue them on construction paper and color it. And then our parents would put it up on the little tree. And then our parents had to take a picture of the tree that we kept at home and then give it to our religion teacher, you know, of the completed tree. And out of all the things that could have happened in kindergarten at age five, I remember the Jesse tree for some reason, you know? And so I love talking about this because it's such a beautiful tradition. And I remember the ornaments because they were so pretty and we could put glitter on them and stuff. And as a five-year-old to remember something like that, this is a very powerful devotion, Eric. And I'm glad that you have written something about this to kind of tell others about this wonderful uh, tradition that they can start. 
Yeah, it really is powerful. And it, it, it really is a Catholic thing in the sense that we, we use our whole bodies. So having the, the physical ornament, that's what kids love to remember. That's what they really remember. It's just like how, mm. what, what, what mass do a lot of Catholics go to that don't even practice? They go to Ash Wednesday. Why? Because there's this physical ash is put on your forehead. We're just made for that because we're body and soul. And I think especially young people, those physical ornaments really help to emphasize and help them to remember. Because I think if we were just reading the stories, that would be good. But it, I think having ornaments really adds that memory device, if nothing else, a catechetical device to the telling of the story and the reflection on the story. Yeah. yeah, and it does seem like as you're talking about Jesus's family history, in a sense, you're strengthening your own family because, right, the kids are then thinking, ah, my family has a history too, a very Catholic history. So uh, the book is uh, the uh, <clears throat> and just the Jesse Tree in Advent Devotion. Uh, Eric, how can people, you mentioned Sophia Institute, how can people get a copy of the book? And then you mentioned also the, the ornaments as, as well. Yeah, I would recommend they go to Sophia Institute's website, and that's just sophiainstitute.com, sophiainstitute.com, and you can buy both the book and the ornaments. It's not required that you buy the ornaments. I do know some families that decide to make their own ornaments, uh, and, and that's fine, of course. But if you want just a whole package and not have to worry about that, you can buy both the, the, the book and the ornaments right there on, on Sophia Institute's website. Just search, and when you go to the website, just search for Jesse Tree, and you'll, it'll come up. And if you may feel it's too late, well, it's not too late. Hey, buy it for next year, but it's not too late to even right. start it this year, right? Thank you so much, Eric. We, we really appreciate your, your work on this. May you blessings you to your family. God bless you. God bless you. Well, up next, Dr. Tom Neal, Chief of Evangelization and Mission Engagement of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, going to join us with an Advent reflection of his own. Remember, Advent is when one great show shattered a It is 35 past the hour. You are tuning your heart to the truth. I'm Gabby Smith along with Johnny Bear. And Johnny, let's take a little road trip about three and a half, four hours away where the sand is so fluffy. It's beautiful every day, every day of the year. It doesn't matter if it's December. That's the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, my happy place. Good morning, Dr. Tom Neal. Thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Gabby and Johnny. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for having me on as always. Oh, we always enjoy your joining us for our morning show. You are the Chief of Evangelization and Mission Engagement of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. And today we are talking about St. John of the Cross, who is our saint of the day tomorrow. So tell us a little bit more about this wonderful saint. Yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. And and maybe I'll just focus today on, on his life story a bit to illustrate the beauty of this saint. He's kind of, you know, when people think of John of the Cross who are in Catholic culture or circles, they think of John of the Cross in the Dark Night of the Soul, which is certainly a focus of his writings. But his life story is so remarkable. Um, he was born in 1542, died in 1591. He died on December 14th, which is tomorrow. Um, so he was 49 years old when he died, which is astounding to mm. think of someone 49 having the immensity of impact he's had. He's a doctor of the church, you know, known for his mystical writings and so on. But, but just a little bit of his background, Gabby, uh, illustrates also just extraordinary kind of beauty of the story of a saint. He was born to parents. His father's name was 
uh, Gonzalo de Ipes, and he was a uh, uh, rich or grew up in a rich Converso family. Converso were Jews that had converted to Catholicism in that time of mm-hmm. Spain's history when there was the expulsion of Jews from Spain and Jews either converted or left Spain. And so he was uh, a child of a, of a Jewish convert family. And then his mother, whose name was Catalina, was uh, uh, a member of a family that was Morisco, which means they had been Muslims that had converted to Catholicism. And she was, her family was very poor. And in that time in Spain, to mix and mash, match social classes and marry was forbidden. So Gonzalo fell in love with Catalina. He married her, and his family disowned him. So he lost all his money, his inheritance, his trade, and became poor with her. And he took up her uh, profession, which was she was a weaver. So he became a weaver, and they lived a very poor, simple life. They had two children, uh, John and another, uh, another brother he had. And his dad died when he was three years old. Uh, and so John grew up, his mother alone, you know, kind of fell into dire poverty. She moved to a town called Medina del Campo, where there was a Jesuit school that offered uh, free tuition to orphans. So she brought him there so that he and his brother would be educated there. So he went to a Jesuit school from the age of uh, nine until the age of uh, 16, he was educated there. So the Jesuits had a definitive impact on him, even though he ended up becoming a Carmelite. Uh, and while he was growing up between the ages of 11 and 16, he, to help support his family because his mother was so poor, uh, he worked at a hospital that treated syphilis patients. Can you imagine an 11-year-old? Mm. <laughs> so, so he was exposed to human mm. suffering very early. Um, after he graduated from the school, he worked for a few more years, um, and then he entered the Carmelite order when he was 21 years old. Um, he was in the Carmelites, which was which was um, uh, an order uh, of friars that uh, had uh, lots of different ministries in Spain. Um, and uh, entered the Carmelites and was in them for a few years, and then decided that they weren't radical enough for him. He wanted more poverty. He wanted more solitude in prayer. And the Carmelites were not that kind of order at the time. So he was ready to leave them and join the Carthusians, which was a, a hermit order, and, and, and enter them. And at that time, 25 years old, he met Teresa of Avila one day, by chance, by providence. And who, Teresa was 52 at the time, and Teresa was <laughs> trying to reform the Carmelite order to make it more poor and to make it more ordered towards solitude and prayer, which is what his original foundation had been. So Teresa convinced John not to join the Carthusians, but to join her, and he did. So he joined her order and helped to reform her order. He helped reform the male branch of the Carmelite order and her reform. And he stirred up a lot of trouble by doing that among Carmelites who weren't happy with what the critique he was offering of the Carmelites in Spain. And so they arrested him secretly at night. They brought him to Toledo, locked him up in a latrine, a bathroom, and left him there for nine months. Uh, and he nearly died during that time. He was abused physically every week. They would scourge him on Fridays. Uh, he was starved. And he escaped. Uh, nine After nine months, he escaped on the assumption of Mary, August 15th. Got out, uh, recovered for about five months in a convent of Teresa's in Toledo, and then went south into South Spain and spent the rest of his life helping to grow Teresa's reform order and, and writing his writings. Uh, all his writings kind of grew out of that time. Um, and then at the end of his life, he was 
critical of the new superior, the male superior of the reform that Teresa had started. His name was Doria. He was critical of this guy, and once he expressed criticism, he was he was banished from his position of leadership, sent to southern Spain to a tiny little monastery, where the prior there hated him. <laughs> That's where he would spend the last months of his life. He got an infection there and was dying. Uh, and as he was dying, the prior who hated him, and the reason the prior hated him, by the way, is because earlier, years before, John had reprimanded this prior uh, as a monk, you know, disciplining him, and the prior never forgave him for that. And so John, at the end of his life, uh, the last months was treated terribly by this prior as he was dying. But John was gentle and loving and forgiving. And just before he died, the prior you know, repented for his abusive treatment, begged John for forgiveness. Um, and uh, the, the last story I want to share here at the end is that when John was in this place down there, some of the other uh, sisters in Teresa's order who had heard about John's abusive treatment were so angry and had written the, the head of the order to stop this. And they wrote John and said, you know, we're trying to get you out of there. And John wrote them a letter and said, you know, I appreciate your love, but don't worry about me, and I can handle this down here. And then he said this line, he said, Where there is no love, put love, and you will draw forth love. And that kind of became the summary of his entire, his entire spiritual vision, that right there, that the whole purpose of the Christian life, all the purpose of asceticism, of the sacramental life, everything we do, is to be capable of putting love wherever we go uh, so that we can draw out love. So, yeah, so that, that's a, a quick run through his life, just an extraordinary man um, who mm-hmm. showed that suffering and hardship can, can lead to an extraordinary transformation of a person. What a remarkable life. My next question was going to be, how did he become a doctor of the church? But I think we can all figure that out on our own just by listening to that story. Um, But the fact that he met St. Teresa of Avila, I mean, when saints meet each other, I mean, come on, right? I mean, that's so cool. (laughs) So, but I I don't know. To me, I'm like, it's two amazing people that we hear about constantly. And then they meet and then they help each other throughout their lifetime. I mean, it's just like a heavenly burst of just uh, amazingness. So I, no, I you're, love you're, this. And just what? It, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's a great. That's a great point. And actually, it's, it's a beautiful thing to say because Teresa. Teresa said later on in her life, she said that what allowed her to be led into the kind of highest, uh, the highest. Uh, heights of mystical union, of union with Christ, that kind of extraordinary experience she had of union with Christ, only happened after John became her spiritual director. Like, after that, oh my he was able to lead her there. Um, and he was, he was four foot ten, by the way. She was five foot four. He was four foot ten, so she called him the half friar, right? <laughs> the, oh, the half man. brother. Oh. The, the half friar, man. right, right. <laughs> Right. That background gives so much yeah, context to all the images that he gave us. Uh, they all have things to do with yes. escaping and with light. Yes. Anyway, thank you, Dr. Neil. Amazing. Dr. Neil, thank you so much for being with us today. We have run out of time. Dr. Neil is the Chief of Evangelization and Mission Engagement of the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. Have a wonderful rest of your Advent and a Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank, thank you. you all. God bless you. Thanks for having me on. 
All right, we're going to be talking about pilgrimages in our Catholic 101 segment coming up next with Dr. Jordan Haddad from Notre Dame Seminary. It is 48 past the hour. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're watching us, listening to us, we're so glad that you are joining us today. Dr. Jordan Haddad is our next guest. He is a professor of dogmatic theology at Notre Dame Seminary and the president of the St. Louis IX Art Society. And today for our Catholic 101 segment, we're going to be talking about pilgrimages. Why should we go on them? Are they just glorified vacations? Well, Dr. Haddad's going to answer all those questions. Good morning. Thank you so much for being with us today. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to be with you, Gabby. Yeah. Okay. So I just, I'm, I'm taken back to high school. We went to the March for Life and we were awakened at two in the morning to pray the rosary. And we would all just kind of grunt and say, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this. We're high schoolers. We're tired. You know, and I remember the, <laughs> uh, the person who was leading the retreat saying, or the pilgrimage saying, this is not a vacation. We're on a pilgrimage. And that took a while to kind of understand. So tell us all of the information about pilgrimages. Why do we go on them as Catholics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the church here on earth is herself often described as a, as a pilgrim church or a pilgrim people, because we recognize that our, our true home is in the, the, the heavenly bosom of the most holy Trinity and the communion of saints. And, if we turn to Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testaments, we'll see that this language of pilgrim is often used to describe God's chosen people. So King David writes in Psalm 39, says, I'm a stranger with you, God, and a pilgrim as all my fathers were. And St. Peter, in First Peter, actually addresses the community there as, as strangers and pilgrims. And so in these passages, we can see that to be not only a Christian, but also to just be human entails a, a unique form of existence relative to the other creatures on the earth. Because whereas they're at home in their environments, we human beings and Christians were, were restlessly called to a life and to a world and a communion that sort of transcends this earthly experience. And so we have to see the entirety of our lives as, as a form of pilgrimage, as it were, and so it's within that context that this tradition of, of pilgrimages takes on meaning for us, because a pilgrimage is a special form of sojourning, a special form of religious searching that really evokes our earthly journey towards heaven, and it's a particularly special occasion for a renewal in prayer. So in other words, a, a pilgrimage to a holy site whether it be a particularly significant church or set of churches, to the, the, the birth or death place of a saint, a Marian apparition, or even the very place where, where Christ was born, lived, suffered, and died. All of these, these sojournings, these religious searchings towards these, these particularly significant places where God has manifested himself can serve to remind us in a really concentrated way what the entirety of our life in Christ already is, an active searching into the, the presence and the life of God, right? our attempt to really seek the very face of God. And there's actually a deeply biblical foundation to pilgrimages, which I can talk a little bit about if y'all would like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we constantly are seeing that in the Bible as well, uh, you know, making pilgrimages, traveling 
great lengths to certain areas in the Old and New Testament as well. But yeah, dive deeper into that a little bit. Yeah, so so um, this phenomenon of pilgrimage is just like replete throughout the life of God's chosen people. So think of these different examples. So Abraham was called by God to leave his homeland, for, uh, the, the place where he was you know, really familiar and secure, to journey to an unknown promised land where God tells him he would make of him a great nation and be a blessing to all people. Jacob is called to pilgrimage to Bethel to settle there and given instructions to, to worship the Lord by building an altar. The Israelites were called on pilgrimage when they were freed from their slavery to the Egyptians so that they can worship the Lord in freedom in, in the wilderness. And the prophet Elijah is called by God to the top of Mount Horeb so that he could hear God's voice. And in Jesus' own day, the Jewish people made pilgrimage to the temple, like the place of the presence of God, the dwelling of God, three times a year Mm -hmm. to offer sacrifice. And so in each of these biblical pilgrimages, upon reaching their destination, there's always a theophany, a manifestation of God's presence in a unique way, Mm -hmm. and really a new beginning to their story. And so for us Christians, pilgrimages to holy sites have been part of our church's tradition for almost the entirety of Christian history. The earliest Mm -hmm. records we have, they go back to even the 200s. And so Pope Benedict explains in a, in a homily he gave um, that one of these holy pilgrimage sites, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the conclusion of the Camino de Santiago in, in Spain and Portugal, he says, to go on pilgrimage is not simply to visit a place to admire its treasures of nature, art, or history. He says, to go on pilgrimage really means to step out of ourselves in order to encounter God where he has revealed himself where his grace has shone with particular splendor and produced rich fruits of conversion and holiness among mm-hmm. those who believe. And so a pilgrimage, you can think about it, it's a, it's a simultaneous movement of the feet and of the soul. It's a, a, a holy human experience, body and soul. And it's a journey that we make both externally and internally. Because as pilgrims, Mm -hmm. we travel to a particular location, stepping outside of ourselves to encounter God where he has revealed himself. And so this action sort of mirrors the the external action, mirrors the interior journey of the pilgrim, who uses that experience to really draw close to God and to seek him more intentionally in our lives. And so it helps to just remind us of what the entirety of our life already is. It's a a pilgrimage to God. Into, into life with him and the, the communion of saints. No, you are absolutely right. So many people take pilgrimages to really find God or have a better relationship with him. There are conversions um, and, and, and people hear him on these pilgrimages as well. And you don't have to travel out of the country to experience or to be a part of a pilgrimage. We have we have so many in our listening area. New Orleans is just one of them. Uh, so many others in the United States. So Dr. Jordan Haddad, thank you so much for being with us and, and telling us a little bit more about the purpose and the importance of taking a pilgrimage. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Dr. Jordan Haddad is a professor of dogmatic theology at Notre Dame Seminary 
and the president of the St. Louis the Ninth Art Society. Please support our local Catholic artists. They do wonderful and beautiful work in our listening area. So, Johnny, just a wonderful deep dive into the biblical uh, and theological meaning of pilgrimages and why we do them, what they are. So and I like Ad- that explanation. Advent is all of, yeah. And Advent is yeah all about us journeying with our Lord to Bethlehem, right? Yeah. So let's uh, let's call on our our Lord this morning to remember our saints this morning. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh God, our Creator and Redeemer, mercifully hear our prayers as we venerate your servant Saint Lucy for the light and the faith that you bestowed upon her, and as we look ahead to venerating Saint John of the Cross, who found your light in the darkness of his conditions. We ask you, O Lord, to increase and preserve this same light in our own souls, that we may be able to avoid evil, to do good, and to be cleansed from the blindness of sin this Advent season. As we await the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll catch you back here tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Time. Allison Daigle with Woman's New Life Clinic will join us with an update. David Dawson Jr. will talk to us about raising a Catholic family. And Dr. Mark Williams, Superintendent of Catholic Schools of the Diocese of Homa Thibodeau, will also join us. Thank you so much to our wonderful producer, Jeff Blackwell, and our video technical professional Karen Cotton for making our show look absolutely amazing. Have a wonderful Wednesday. God bless. Wake Up is a production of Catholic Community Media.